0: Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We've been on a study in the book, well, not particularly, we've been in Samuel, but we've been studying three biblical characters of the Old Testament, the first three kings of Israel, for a reason. Because there are so many lessons and examples for us to follow by studying them. We are on right now David. He's a very interesting person to study. I trust that you have been finding him of interest as we've been going through this middle portion of our summer series on the kings, the crown. And today's nonetheless, uh, last week we talked of forgiveness, and how he struggled in that area. I don't know of anybody who really doesn't, to be honest. Um, I do. I struggle in the area of forgiveness. Uh, there's places where you just feel like you admit defeat if you forgive someone. And there's times I don't even think about forgiving them. I don't even think about it. You know, not until later, and it's like, I've got an issue going on. I got an offended heart. And it's like, how come I didn't pick up on that earlier? I was reacting out of something, and I didn't clue in until later. Aggravates me when that happens, that it's kind of, you learn of it maybe a little late, and then now you have to pick up some pieces. Today I want to talk about a very, uh, something I don't know if you've, maybe, maybe you've heard a preach before, but I'm, I'm going to go for it, because I just see it's just screaming at us from this passage. I want to talk today about friendships friendships. Um, Unforgiveness costs our crown. And and our text, of course, our text all along has been James 1.12. Can we go to the text? James 1.12. Can you say this together with me? Everybody, one voice. Blessed is the one. Everybody, one voice. Come on. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who who love him. If you continue to follow that on through in James, it talks about that that there is no temptation that will overcome you and that there is a place God will provide for you. He is there in the midst of whatever you're going through. So you don't have to forfeit God's plans for you. To the contrary, you can wear the crown of life that you get at salvation and wear it and may it become more prominent as you grow in your faith. That's what we're believing. But there are a lot of threats to the crown, a lot of threats to take away life, life in the spirit from you. Let's dive into it today because we're going to talk about friendships. Friendships. I, uh, so I thought I'd start by um, sharing a few quotes. And the quotes, uh, just some are secular, some are a uh, couple of Christians in here. Uh, Bill Watterson said this about friendships. Things are never quite as scary when you've got a best friend. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school. But if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything. Henry Ford, my best friend is the one who brings out the best in me. Jackson Brown, remember that life's most valuable antiques are dear old friends. George MacDonald, a true friend is a forever friend. Helen Keller, I would rather walk with a friend in the dark than walk alone in the light. Winnie the Pooh. A day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. That's one of my favorite. And Taylor Coleridge friendship is a sheltering tree. I'm actually going to use that last one as kind of my springboard this morning. Friendship is a sheltering tree. I've, we have a picture of a picture of a sheltering tree. I come to appreciate sheltering trees. If you have been to a very hot climate and in that arid condition, I've noticed that uh, don't just talk wherever you are, find a tree, get under a tree. You find that conversations take place under trees because it's just too hot. And There's something about not only the shade of the tree that the tree provides for you, but also there's almost a moisture that it provides for you as well. You feel a bit of a, a sense of humidity in the midst of maybe the dryness around. And you just picture the leafy branches just, just wrapping themselves around you in the, in the scorch of the heat. You just, the leafy branches. That's the picture I have. Friendship is a sheltering Tree just wraps itself around you and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look after you here. What a beautiful picture. So, I want to talk about David. King David comes to a point in his life. Next week, I want to talk about David in his old age. So, some of us will, that will be more relevant than others, but it will be relevant to all of us one day. But today, I want to talk about David. He, He came to a very difficult time in his life probably the lowest of his life that we know of anyway, prior to, or I should say, uh, post being a king. He had some very difficult times before he became king. And uh, David had failed in many ways. He had failed as, uh, I mean, he was meant to be a leader. God had called him to be the leader. He had failed in his relationships with women. He had failed in his relationship with home. He had a lot of trouble at home. We spent a whole session about the troubles that David had at home, and there are a list of them. His children, um, he had children, multiple children, and and he was not particularly a good father. He was not particularly a good husband. Uh, He was a better leader, but he bobbled that and... So not only did he sense remorse from failure at home, but he was sensing remorse. He had failed his country because right now he's failed his people because he had been ousted from the palace by none other than his own son. So this was a this was a despairing time for David. He was fleeing, and we picked this up, and I, I hope you brought your Bibles. I've been talking. Let's bring our Bibles. Let's start a new year. Bring your Bibles. So um, if you didn't this morning, can you just... Feel free, take your, take your calendars, take your phones and mark it in for next Saturday night to remind you to bring your Bible, okay? Reminder, save the date for Saturday. So Sunday, you remember, because, you know, you, you reap a habit. Uh, we want to reap a habit so we can, we can do that. So today we're going to be going, and I'm just going to do that right here. Go with me, please, to 2 Samuel. This is where we're going to sit this morning. 2 Samuel. We're going to go to chapter 15. We're going to read a number of things here. And uh, so I want to... Um, David has in this... Where we're going to pick up the story about friendships. He's had a very low time of his life. He's failed as a, a leader. He's been ousted from the palace by his own son. Who's brought a rebellion against him. Uh, David, who people that he really trusted and believed and left him. Many of them. We talked last week about Shimei, you know... Uh, the household of Saul, which David demonstrated grace toward, even they turned against him. It was not uncommon for a king to wipe out the previous king's ancestry. David chose not to do that. But he was, he was lied about, even though he did good in that situation. And so here is David. He's running. Uh, the throne has been abdicated by the king that God had commanded. And Absalom has taken over. Uh, He is not God's plan for this kingdom. Let's pick it up. We have 2 Samuel, if you have it there, verse... We're going to go down to verse 15 of chapter 15. 2 Samuel 15, 15. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord and king chooses. Remember, he's running. He's on the run. He's exiled. Verse 16. The king set out with his entire household following him, but he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the picture here is we can continue talking. David is leaving Zion, the city of David. It was not ever named after the city of Absalom. It was named the city of David, but he's running because Absalom, his son, has taken over. Have you ever left a place and you thought it was the last, last time you're leaving and you look back? You remember? The, do you remember the, do you have some of those moments? I do. When you're leaving, you're moving. A place that was dear to you. And you stop in that last moment and you look back. Okay, you remember those times? Those are are emotional times of the memories, and you wonder if you'll ever see it again. And you wonder what the future might never be as good as what you were just walking away from. Those those are very emotional times. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have had those moments where you look back. Some of you going off to college and university, Casey, when you're going off to college, you get to look back at your home. Goodbye, home. I'm going to the city. <laughs> and your parents wave goodbye, feel so happy about it all. Okay, David would have stopped, look back. This is the city of David, the palace. Jerusalem, the holy city. He's leaving with uh, hundreds of people that have left with him. Okay, we picture the site. Very difficult time. And there's a lot of scurrying, okay? They, they don't have U-Hauls, okay? They are running, getting out of there. They're running for their lives, And David really needs a sheltering tree. Remember, a friend is a sheltering tree. What does it look like? I'm going to talk about five friends in David's life. And it's not so much that you look for those five friends, and may you find them. But my challenge, I believe the Spirit's challenge today is, would you be one of these five friends to others? So let's go down to verse 18. Chapter 15, verse 18, we pick it up. All his men marched past him along with the Carathites, the Pelothites, and all the 600 Guidites, who had accompanied him from Goth, marched before the king. Um, we come down to, uh, uh, let me see, let's go down to verse 18, and all his men, um, okay, let's go to 19. The king said to Atai. everybody say Atai. Atei. the Gaidite, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. Okay, I just need to take a moment and talk about person number one, friendship number one. If you want to write these down again, you can grab these from QR code. The notes are here for you. Atai, the Gaidite, Atei. friend number one. This is the first time Atei is mentioned. Um, I'm going to suggest that hardly any of you have probably heard of Atei. Perhaps all of you have not really heard of Atei. Now, we don't want to necessarily admit it, but... First time he is mentioned here, he's a friend of the king, but he never really gets any limelight until the chips are down. Until David has stopped at his last moment, turned around, the glory is gone from off of him and the throne. And suddenly, Atei steps out and says, I'm with you. Prior to that, we don't hear of him. We don't know of him. He's just unknown until this moment. And here's the really cool thing about Atai. Did you notice it said Atai the, the Gaidite? The Gaidite. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means this. The Gidite are people from the region of Gath. Gath is significant because Goliath is from Gath. Now we know the story of David and Goliath. Not only is Goliath from Gath, all his family and all his relatives are from Gath. It's, it's, it's kind of a significant community in the regions of the Philistines and Philistia. And out of that region, basically it's David's enemies. These people are not friendly, typically to David, because David killed their hero. He killed the town hero. And he mocked every single person who belonged to this community of the Gidites. So this is significant because Getai, that's why it's mentioned. Getai is from Gidite. Gidite is the place that there shouldn't be any friends of David there. People don't like David in this region. This is where Goliath is from. And here, when David's back is against the wall, this person who is least to be expected to do this steps up and says, David, I'm here. Read what it says. Go with me to verse 20. Chapter 15, 20. David says to him, You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us when I do not know where I am going. Go back. Take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. David is saying, thank you for coming, but you don't owe me this. You don't have to do this. Really, this is unnecessary. Thank you. May the Lord bless you. You were kind. May the Lord bless you with faithfulness. But you you haven't known me all that long. You, You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. Now listen to what Atai says. Verse 21. But Atai replied to the king. As surely as the Lord lives. he's, He's a follower of the Lord Jehovah. No doubt because of David. As surely as the Lord lives and as my king lives. You're it. Not the people of Philistines. You're it David. You're the king. He knows God's king. Wherever my lord the king may be whether it means life or death, there will be your servant. Your servant will be. Well, I tell you, where are you in this world? Where are you when you leave the people that would so quickly forsake you? And you say, even when you are implored, go back, you don't have to come. You don't have to do that. When those around you, even the one you're trying to help says, listen, you don't owe me anything. He says, listen... As surely as the Lord lives, and as long as you're alive, I'm going to follow you, whether in life or in death, I'm here. God bless them. God bless them. Atei, I honor you today. I honor you. We need friends like Atai. He puts his neck on the line for David. When everything else fails and everybody else is turned away, there are precious few who will give you a call and say, I'm with you. What do you want me to do? Isn't it true? Friendships. You want to have crown, we got to invest in friendships. And I want to ask the question, is God asking you to be that kind of a friend to someone? Instead of just fleet, you're here today, gone tomorrow. If they don't reciprocate, you're not going to do it. David wasn't reciprocating it. It was kind of going one way right here because David needed a sheltering tree. And Atei was his sheltering tree. Atei. Friend number one. Let's go to the next one. There's two I'm going to, I'm going to mention here. Uh, this Zadok and Abathar. Let's look at these. Two more that are part of sheltering tree system for David. They're not guideites. These guys are Levites. This is, the, this is the, the tribe, the praying tribe, the priesthood tribe, the Levitical tribe, they are Levites and they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Two guys carrying, carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they set the heavy sacred chest down and look over to David while they fled the city and they look over to David and say, where do you want us to go from here? <laughs> it's just like basically that's what they're saying. We're with you. Oh, by the way, we brought the Ark of the Covenant with us too. <laughs> okay. Where do, you, where do we go next? I, I like it. Let's pick it up. Verse 24. Uh, Actually, let's go back to, um, let's go chapter 15, and uh, let me see. Yeah, verse 24, we'll do 24. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. So they're going about the priestly duties while running. Verse 25. Then the king, King David, said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if God says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Don't you love the spirit of David here? What a beautiful spirit. A teachable spirit. David's saying, if God wants me to have that ark and to be a part of worship, because the ark was key to the worship, then he'll let me come back to the city. But if not, then that's up to God. It's up to God. He's not not demanding anything from God. I, I love his teachable spirit here. Even in David's disobedience, he knew, David knew, the ark was not his. The ark was the people's. The ark belongs in Jerusalem. Hmm. The ark's not his. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God's people. and It's about God. And so David told the priest, I can just picture David, you know, they're making their way out, David, and he's looking, he's seeing the smoke going up and the offering and the sacrifice, and David going, oh man, the ark is here. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Guys! Take it back. <laughs> the guys are saying, no, no, no. We're here with you. Because you're God's anointed. David says, it does, the sun does not rise on me. The sun does not set on me. It's God's people. I'm believing for the entire nation, not just me. I wonder how many would have just said, forget them back there. We're going to start another one. You know, We're going to start our own church over here. David says, no way. Take it back, guys. Take it back. Because that's where the ark. Belongs. What a beautiful picture of that. I really appreciate David here. And, and verse 27. Um, let's read it. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Do you understand? In other words, there must have been a bit of conversation going on here. Go back to the city with my blessing. Take your son Amaz with you and Abathar's son Jonathan. You and Abathar return to your two sons. I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. Listen, church, listen. Sometimes when you are really in need, you will have a few friends who will say to you, I'll do whatever you wish. I'm available. I'm there for you. And Zadok and Abathars are such people. And I guess I come back to that question. Are you those kind of people to someone else who needs a time of shelter? God bless them. Well, friend number three, Hushai, Hushai, Hushai. Let's pick it up, verse 32, go down to 32. When David had arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn, dust in his head. Okay, he's, from the, he's an archite, different group altogether. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn, dust in his head. Now, if you go down to verse 37, you will read in verse 37, it says, so Hushai, David's confident. Another translation says David's friend arrived at Jerusalem as Absalom was entering the city. So he's considered a friend, confident. Hushai. So I, friend number three. When he met David, he didn't just meet him. It says here the man's coat was torn. His head was covered with dust. This is what people did in that day to express their grief with you. When you are going through a difficult time, when you are going through a season of grief, they're sharing it. They're carrying your burden with you. And to do that, they didn't do it with words. They did it with deed. Hmm. There's a lesson there, maybe. It's so easy to say something. That's okay. It takes it to a whole new level when you do something. It wasn't enough for him to say, David, I feel bad about this. He lived it. He ripped his clothes. He rent his clothes. He poured ashes over his head. And he approached David in that way. Not with words, but in deed. There's an expression I've been using the last couple of weeks. It's called, deed is seed that will bring forth the harvest. Deed is seed. Talking is not the seed. Your actions are the seed that brings forth the harvest. Deed is seed that brings forth the harvest. And he was demonstrating by his very life. Listen, beloved, sometimes when the pain is so great and you come to your last moment, a personal Hushai arrives and he wraps himself just being there with you, around you. He doesn't come with a sermon. He doesn't come with a prophetic word. He doesn't come with any scriptures. He doesn't try to correct you. All he does in his speechlessness is show up and carry your burden. We need friends like that. We need friends like that. Who aren't there for anything else. They just do it. Just do it. And they shelter you. At this time. And David gives his loyal friend a significant task. Go down to verse 34. David says, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Athithophel's advice. Now, this Athithophel is Absalom's counselor, and David is sending Hushai back as a spy. So here he is. Hushai just comes and carries the burden. Oh, help us Lord to be friends like that. Let's go to number 4. There's three of them here. Shobi, Machir and Barzillai. Now, Shobi, Machir, Barzillai. All these names. Who knows these guys? Nobody talks about them in the New Testament. They don't don't stand out in my mind. They're hard to pronounce. They don't stand out really in anybody's mind. We don't recognize the name because true friends don't parade their friendship. They simply do friendship. They simply do it. So we pick it now. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 27. Over to chapter 17, verse 27. When David came to Manim... Shobai, the son of Naash, from Reba and the Ammonites, and Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Berzelii, the Gileadite from Rajalim, brought bedding and bowls and articles of pottery. Note this. They also brought wheat and barley, flour and roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey and curds, sheep, and cheese from cows, milk for David and his people to eat. For they said the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. David comes to this region. It says, David had come to Mahaniam. Mahaniam. Now, if you check in the concordance, this is interesting. Mahaniam is mentioned back in Genesis 32. If you go back to Genesis 32, verse 2, actually, I just read it earlier in the service. It was the place where Jacob wrestled with God. It's the first time it's mentioned. It's where this battle takes place, the stairway takes place, and he wrestles with God in the midnight of Jacob's life. So here we are centuries later, David, and David is in the middle of nowhere at this same place, Hmm, curious, and where Jacob discovered a friend, David discovers a friend. And David didn't have to ask. David didn't have to say, oh, I'm really hungry. Did anybody think to bring anything? Right? Didn't have to ask. They anticipated it. They anticipated you have a need. And so they brought it. Friends know when you're hungry. Friends know when you're in need. The beautiful thing about sheltering trees is they don't have to be told to shelter you. They just do. And they do the practical stuff. The stuff that has to take place. Nothing big, nothing exciting about it, just giving you drink and giving you food and making sure your strength is provided for. It is faith in action. Brasilii is said to have been, by commentators, 80 years old. And that day, that was really old. 80 years old. He could have said, I'm retired. Let somebody younger do all this stuff. But he didn't. So easy to say, well, I've done it. Been there, done it. Let the younger generation take over. Well, since who? It'd be nice, but Basilia, I saw a need, and he says this, and I brought the sheep, I got the cheese, I brought the wheat, pots, things to eat. We've got to eat, guys. You're hungry. I've got to provide for you. He becomes a friend who just provides. God bless these people. Well, let's take you to the last one. We'll close. Joab. After David receives word of the death of his son Absalom, David goes into a very deep depression. And this is where Joab climbs into the relationship in a whole new way. He's the commander of David's army, yes. He's already in relationship with David, yes. But he steps it up here. Now watch this. Chapter 19. We go to chapter 19, verse 1. So, Joab was told, The king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. For the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning because on that day the troops heard it said, The king is grieving for his son. That's all they could hear. And David wept and wept. And David was stuck there. He was stuck. Uh, He let this get to him. Yeah, he was grieving. But David, you've got to see the bigger picture here too. And while he's grieving, this is where Joab, verse 4, steps in. Verse 4, let's pick it up. The king covered his face and cried aloud, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. This is his grieving. Now here's Joab, verse 5. Joab went into the house of the king and said, Today you have humiliated all your men, who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters, your wives and your concubines. Verse 6. You love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean, you see this? Nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and the rest of us dead. <laughs> this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. Be kind on him. He's weeping for his son. But there comes a moment where a friend has to step it up. And truth with love declare something. And you don't do it in a moment's notice. Listen, if you don't walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the person, you haven't earned the right to speak in those moments. But when you have walked with them in those moments, then you now earn the right to speak the hard truth. And Joab had fought beside the king with his very life. And now he needed to give some truth in love to the king. Wow. I'm just going to read that again because I just find that hard hitting. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 5, you've humiliated your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and concubines. Verse 6, you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You have made it clear today that the commanders and the men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased as Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. He continues, verse 7. Here's what you need to do. I think there's probably a pause here. We don't know for sure. Now go out. And encourage your men. This is love. I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you. You see, it's not about getting the truth. It's He cares for David. David, you're the leader. You're the only one who can do this. And you're about to fall down here and not get back up if you don't get out now. you got to do it. Note that where he says, If you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall and this will be worse for you than all the calamities that ever come on you from your youth right up until now. Joab, what are you doing? He's being a true friend. He's speaking the truth in love. David, get on your feet. David, this isn't you. This isn't God's plan for you, David. What you're doing here, you have grieved, yes. But now, David, you've got to work ahead of you. David, there are people looking up to you. David, you need to be the dad right now for these people. Get up, David, and father them. They need you. Rise up, David. It's time to move on. The people need you. Joab cared enough for David to confront him. And David got up, took his advice. We pick it up, chapter 19, verse 8. So the king got up, took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came they loved him. They loved him. It says they all came before him. They had grieved with him, but now he's saying, I love you guys. I care for you. I'm here. We're back on the saddle again. We're going we're to move on. What, a, what an amazing picture. I like, I like this picture here. Well, I want to share some scriptures about friends. We've talked of these five friends here. Proverbs 27 verse 9 says, Perfume and incense brings joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Proverbs 12, verse 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Can I just talk a moment? I want to pause for aim. I'm going to come back and give just some final thoughts. I want to talk to parents here. Helping your children... Learn to be a good friend and find good friends will be probably the most important thing you'll do in your kid's life. Friendship will steer them one way or the other. You got to be involved. You got to be involved. Not in the last minute, you got to be involved. When it comes to our children, our little children, you got to be involved in the helping and the nurturing of that. You can provide some stuff in your home. Your time of devotion, we need to. A time where we share, for them to share, and you begin to help them through example and teaching in the home. When they lie down, when they rise up, when they leave, when they come back, Bible talks, in Deuteronomy, to do that. Train up a child in the way they will go when they are old. You do that, mom and dad. Okay, that is your responsibility. You can do that as a single parent as well. So if you have a spouse that's not a follower of Jesus, you're still there. And God will actually raise you up into a two-part portfolio to minister to them as if you were mom and dad to both your, to your children, your sons and daughters. But you also need help from outside because we don't live in isolation. Now more than ever. I just read a study. that came out in the star, I believe, or the sun, just a couple of days ago. You may have read it. How is the generation, the, how is the online generation, anybody read that? How is the online generation responding to world affairs today? Are they more equipped to handle deception? In other words, marketing propaganda, things that aren't real, and the pressures, can they discern and decipher their way through better being the generation that has all the information at their fingertips than my generation or even the millennial generation? Millennial generation kind of came into it later. So, is the generation in their 20s and under, are they able to, are they stronger? Because, and the stats, this is secular, this is all secular, totally, you know, left wing people talking here. And these people are saying they're actually worse. And I'm going, yeah, because you have thrown a plethora of information at them with no direction of morality. You can't do that. We are moral beings, and we need help. Mom and dad, we know that. Okay, so here's the other thing. I encourage you, you need to get your kids involved in church, too. They need to be involved in church. That We are here, the church, and this is my goal in my life, part of what my calling is, is to assist families to raise a godly generation. Let us help you. You need it. You need it. And sometimes there's situations, you know, where we say, well, that didn't turn out very well in that situation. But we need the church. So the children's ministry, I'm so excited about this new quarter of the children's ministry. They started today downstairs. Lori and Marisa are down working with the kids. And we're just, the curriculum's amazing and the effort being put into it. Uh, Trust us with your kids. Help us out. And we will help. Youth. Number we, have, we, have, we meet on a weekly basis, and this has been amazing for myself and Lori as well, that we have, for the last five months, Ethan and Dylan has seen us faithfully. They're a couple of our youth. Have seen us every Thursday night. No longer do I have Thursday night to myself. I'm here with the youth. For a while. Don't No, no, I'm not the new youth guy. Um, and these kids are amazing, and we believe, and we, and we are giving the word of life. We're teaching, we're, this Thursday we're going to be teaching on prayer. We're going to be teaching about worship. We're teaching on issues of sin. We're teaching about friendships. We're teaching all those things. You need to work in cooperation. Families, we need help. We need to help learn healthy friendships. I'm glad my parents stepped in and were prepared to drive 20 miles every week to take myself and my siblings to youth group because we went to school with secular, whole secular group, and our church was in a different region, and they drove the 20 miles to take us there, and it made a difference. It truly made a difference in our lives. I'm convinced if my sisters were here, they'd, I believe they'd say the same thing. As much as my parents loved Jesus and could take us to church on Sunday, we needed extra friendships within the context of Of the church. And the church is there to provide that. Uh, I had a a professor, Dr. Richard Dobbins, when I took courses in Akron, Ohio. And he talked about in his city in Akron, uh, his 17-year-old son was being highly persuaded in his school. He was moving into the senior years of his school, sophomore years. And so they actually moved, sold their house, moved to the other side of the city to move their son to another school to provide another set of friends. And he's convinced it saved his son's life. It costs. It's sacrifice. It's worth it. It's not, just don't leave it up to, we're losing them to 60 to 90% of our kids. And that grieves us, and I know it grieves you too. The stats are saying, this is in the Pentecostal charismatic movement as well. 60 to 90% 90 of our kids after leaving school within the next 10 years will not continue to serve the Lord. And I want to turn that statistic right on the other end. That is the opposite. That they are hard after followers of Jesus. And they know who they are and they're calling for Christ. And the church and the families together can do that. So I'm just saying, this is a part of the friendship base that we've got to work at. And there's got to be a collaboration. The enemy of your soul would say you can do it by yourself. Don't do it. Don't go there. Um, Work. Work together. Be a part of the solution. And so this comes down Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So parents, we need to actively be involved in helping our children choose and find friendships. And help them to know what a good friend is. What makes a good friend? A good friend will not go against parental wishes. A good friend will not teach you contrary to what people have invested in your life. A good friend won't do that. We gravitate to those we feel, to, we feel like we're like. And so if we gravitate to people who gossip, well, we will gossip. If we gravitate to slanders, we will slander. If we gravitate to rebels, we will rebel. We gravitate to like. Be actively involved. So truth about sheltering friends, here we go. We close. Number one, friends are not optional. They're essential. We all need someone to care, listen, and feel, and to occasionally reprove. As much as you might be here today and you are an introvert and you don't think you need friends, we need friends. We weren't made to be in isolation. We weren't created to be in isolation. You go back to Genesis, you can see it. Secondly, friends are not automatic. They must be cultivated. Proverbs 18, 24, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. You say, but nobody likes me. Well, how are you doing in liking someone? What have you done to go out of your way to nurture a relationship, to nurture friendships? And there are different levels of friends. I'm going to close with the four levels of friendship. What have you done to invest in friendships? You're just waiting for them to show up and say, hey, can I serve you? No. We must show ourselves friendly, this text. I like it. Verse, number three, friends are not neutral. They impact our lives. Every person who comes into your life impacts you one way or the other. If our friend leads good lives, they encourage us to be a better person. If our friend leads bad lives, they will lead you down that path. 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived. Bad company correct, corrupts good morals. Psalms 1.1, one, 1 it says, Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, and does not sit among the seat of mockers. Blessed is him who does not hang out there. Choose your friends carefully. If you want to be wise, choose wise friends. Number four, friendships come in varying degrees, some more significant than others. And I've, I actually went on and, and found this, four levels. There's acquaintances, casual, close, and intimate. Very simple. Acquaintance friendships are those that you know by name, but not much more. Occasionally you rub shoulders, you might work with them. You might uh, see them at, uh, you know, the checkout on a regular basis. Might be your banker, and there's a bit more than just, uh, well, I know the name, but you you, kind of like each other in some distant way. But then there's the casual friends. These casual friends would actually call each other a friend. They're casual. They don't hang out together. They don't go on trips together, but they are casual friends. If there's an opportunity, if there's a group meeting, they'll find each other and sit together, Casual. Then there's the close friends. Moves to a different level. Close friends are those that you will probably connect at least weekly. You will look them up. You will look to look them up at times. And they will look to look you up at times. You consider that there is some sort of a connection between you. There's an investment between you. You're close friends. And then there is intimate friends. These are the ones that you're hard-pressed to go a day without connecting with this person. You guys are connected. You know... You track, you pace with each other in the details of your life. And sometimes we beat ourselves up. We don't have intimate friends. We don't have close friends. And I'm just going to say, not always does that happen. But make sure you invest in the casual and your acquaintance friends. They are important as well. Don't just brush them off. They're important. Sometimes we see people and say, I'm not kindred heart with that person. That's okay. Sometimes we see others and they always taking pictures, you know, always their arms around each other, hanging out with each other. And we look with envy and there's a longing in our heart. I wish I had people like that. But be an acquaintance, casual friend. Connect with people, have them over. We, a year ago, launched, a year and a half ago, come to my table. Find people even at church, and invite them over once in a while. Not just the ones you're comfortable with, just the ones that you just see. and You just say, "Let's, hey, honey, let's have them on over. I actually did that this past week. There's a family right near here this morning. I'm not going to tell who. I said, honey, I want to have this family over. I have no idea anything about them. I just want to have them over. I just want to get to know them. And do that. Acquaintance might never go beyond acquaintance or casual. It might become a close friend. You can't predict those things. But you become friendly so that you demonstrate friendships. Hmm. Do you think this is a godly thing? I really do. It can really help turn the tide in your life and in the lives of those around you. Thankfully, David had a grove of sheltering trees. And as a result, David made it through wearing the crown. Can you be that friend? Be a shelter to another. I believe you'll never regret it.